0: Open your Bibles to Matthew 5, 17. Uh, unlike Joe, I don't have props. So. Uh, thank you, Joe, for sharing God's Word with us last week. And pray that we live that out as salt. And um, light, announcement I forgot. Whoever put a Rusty Barrel gift card in my mailbox, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> don't know who that was, but we appreciate it. Okay, God's Word. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and of the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is God's word. Um, There are parts of the Bible that I'm really, really sure about, and there are parts of the Bible that I'm not as sure about, but Sunday still comes. This is the second one. Okay, so a lot, lot going on here. Uh, much ink has been spilled. Uh, many arguments have been had over the past, you know, two thousand years since these three verses have been written. And so, to try and cut through some of that and, and hopefully simplify, I want to answer three questions: one, what is the law and the prophets? Two, uh, what does it mean that Jesus came to fulfill them and not abolish them? And then three, the, the clinchers: how do we live? Okay. How do we live in light of these things? So first, what is the law and the prophets? Easy answer. It's the Old Testament. Okay? It's it's shorthand for the Tanakh, the Torah, the writings of the prophets, and all through the New Testament, uh, Paul and Jesus and James and, and Peter will say the law. The law and the prophets, the writings, okay? The whole deal. It's Romans uh, 9, 3 through 5. It's Israel's election. It's the covenants, the, the giving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. The law and the prophets is the whole deal, okay? That whole left part of your Bible, law and the prophets, okay? Promises, curses, blessings, the whole deal. So now the, that, that's not under debate, really. The question is, what is I came to fulfill them? and not abolish them, and and, and that not a dot or an iota or, you know, the the smallest part of the letter will pass away until all is accomplished, okay? This is the debated issue. This is where there's mountains of literature. Uh, This is where this week was not a great week to have this um, passage here, okay? Does it mean that all the law and the prophets were pointing towards Jesus, and now since he came, there's no need for them? Because he he realized them or fulfilled them. or that, That's the pretty common evangelical view. Like, we, yeah, we like the Old Testament, but Jesus fulfilled it. So we don't need it anymore. We've got this new thing, okay? I, I don't land there if I'm wrong. You know, the Lord loves me, and, and you do too, and we'll... Figure it out. Here's where I land, and and I'm going to read from a different translation to clarify. Uh, It says, don't think that I'm here to do away with the Torah and the prophets. I have not come to do away with them, but to make them fully known and to carry them out. So Jesus said, I didn't come here to get rid of the law and the prophets or, or un, you know, unhits from the Old Testament. I've come to make them fully known. I've come to confirm the promises of the Old Testament that we were singing about this morning and to carry them out, okay? To, to, to be the answer to these things. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the confirmation and the fulfillment of all the words and promises spoken in the law and the prophets, Okay? So here's kind of how I'm understanding this. Uh, You guys, you can admit it, okay? This is a safe place. You shop at Amazon, don't you? Okay? And you get those alerts on your phone or or your email. You order something from Amazon, and immediately you get an email or a text that says, valued customer, you know, thank you for participating in the destruction of small businesses everywhere. Your order (laughs) has been placed, you know what I mean? Like, you know. Again, you can admit it, I order stuff from Amazon. If I can get it at Venture, I go to Venture, but if I can, you know. Anyway, we'll take communion later. And, okay? But then, so again, you get that initial email. Then you get another one that says your order will be here by Friday. So now you've got more clarity on the original order. And then if you click on that next message, uh, it says your order will be here by 8 p.m. And if it's coming by one of their, their special trucks, you can actually track the truck. Okay? Which is, you know, what else are they tracking? Anyway, so so you've got the initial promise, right? Then you've got another confirmation that makes that one clearer, and then if you click on that, you can really see like, oh, this is exactly what's happening. This is exactly where it's going. So the promise builds on another one. It doesn't change the original, though. Does that make sense? It just clarifies what's going on. The new alerts to the original promise don't nullify or abolish or redefine the first promises. Instead, they clarify that original promise. And it would be a real bummer if the later promises redefined the original one, right? And it would make you question the integrity of Amazon. Not that you would ever question the integrity of Amazon, okay? Like you promised black crew socks, okay? But when they arrived, they were pink ankle socks, which just means Sarah and I's orders got mixed up, okay? So that's not what Jesus is doing. He didn't come to change or redefine or reimagine or or allegorize Israel's national hopes. He came to affirm them. He came to make them fully known and to carry them out. And so if the promise is black socks, what should Israelites expect? Black socks. So if the promise was, was land for Abraham's descendants, the confirmation confirmation email should say land for abraham's descendants and when the truck arrives it should give you land for abraham's descendants okay that's what should show up on the porch if the promise was for a king on the earth on a throne in jerusalem with a scepter the email should say that and the truck should deliver that okay it should it should affirm not change the original promise otherwise amazon isn't being totally truthful we told you black crew socks yeah but what do you think about these pink ones? Okay, well, that, you know, Sierra thinks they're fine, but that's not what I ordered. That's not what was promised. So, so let's ask Jesus. What does Jesus mean by fulfill? John 5, 46, for if you believed Moses, okay, Old Testament, if you believed him, you would believe me, for Moses wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, if you don't believe the law and the prophets, how are you going to believe what I'm saying? How are you going to believe my words? So Jesus is explaining, and John is really polemic of one of the Gospels. He's explaining that his arrival, his showing up on the scene is in line with, not in conflict, what was foretold by Moses. He's not changing what happened and what was said in the law and the prophets. He's not spiritualizing them or reimagining them. Jesus is saying, exactly what Moses said I would do, I'm doing. Okay. I, I like what Moses said. I agree with what he said. Luke twenty four, the the road to Emmaus. If you've grown up in, in church world, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. That's what they're saying to Jesus. They don't recognize Jesus. I don't know if he's wearing a mustache or you know, isn't that funny? Like he, he right after the resurrection, they think he's the gardener. I you know I don't know what's going on there, but they say to him, "You didn't hear? We we hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel." And Jesus doesn't say, "Well, that's stupid." You know what are you guys talking about? Redeem Israel? You know, what, do you, what does Israel mean? Israel, it's east. Okay, the Israelites live there. Jerusalem's there. We hoped he would redeem Israel, and he said to them, "Of foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken." What are they slow to believe? The left part of their Bible. Okay? Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scripture the things concerning himself. So this is after the cross, right? And clearly he's talking about the cross. So Jesus walking on the road to Emmaus with these two disciples has to be, has to be explaining to them Isaiah 53, right? If you're, if you're in church world, I, you know Isaiah 53. He was bruised for our iniquities, uh, beaten for our transgressions. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we're healed. Right, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have gone our own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And Jesus walking there, like, and Jesus saying, "Yeah, that was him. That was that. That's Jesus." But it's not just Isaiah 53 that Jesus talks about on the road to Emmaus. He says all the things that Moses wrote about. Okay, so he says to them, "You guys know Moses." Wrote about a human who would crush the serpent's head. You guys know that. You know how Moses wrote about a king from Judah's family who will rule with a scepter and a staff that will never depart from him, and all the peoples of the earth will obey him? I think that was talking about Jesus. You know how Moses wrote about a king who would fear the Lord and keep his law and do his law and continue long in his kingdom in Israel. Deuteronomy 17. Jesus, on the road to Emmaus, after his resurrection, before his ascension, is affirming, not changing, not abolishing Israel's hopes from the Old Testament. Okay? He doesn't tell them, you guys are being too nationalistic and too carnal. It's a spiritual thing now. No, he's reaffirming all those same hopes. A real king and a real kingdom on the earth, ruling all the nations, not just Israel, in righteousness. Luke 24, 44. He said to them, this is still the road. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. That whole left part of your Bible, Jesus says, I'm going to make sure that stuff comes true. I'm going to make sure it happens. The original order is going to look like the original order, okay? And this is, again, after the death and resurrection. So the death and resurrection and ascension and spirit sending, those things don't change or redefine the hopes of the law and the prophets. They confirm those things, all right? God promised these things. Jesus raising from the dead is God saying, yep, I'm still doing all that stuff. Okay? This is still going to happen. So what happens in the resurrection, in, in the ascension, in the sending of the Spirit is what it's doing is it gives Israel and all of us Gentiles who would follow Israel's God a new anchor, a more sure anchor to hold on to in regards to all that God had promised and foretold in the law and the prophets. I didn't come to abolish them. So if you are walking through a, a, a season of your life where everything is terrible, Okay, everything is sad, everything is broken, and you can't think things will ever get better. You look back to the cross and the, and the resurrection of Jesus because that thing confirms everything left of it. It says this will happen. It will come true. We know it's true because God raised Jesus from the dead. Okay, that's what Jesus says before the resurrection. That's what he says after the resurrection. What about Paul? Okay, because Paul's kind of the, the um, fly in the ointment here. Here, actually, we had a fly in our honey this morning, honey. Because um, what sometimes happens in, in like some scholarship is like, yeah, Jesus was totally you know doing the the Jewish national thing, but Paul invented Christianity, okay? Which is bonkers. We'll see here. Paul and Jesus are both Jewish, and all the apostles are all Jewish, and all have Jewish hopes. Acts twenty four. But this I confess to you, this is Paul now that, according to the way which they call a sect, okay, so what 's a sect right we 've got Judaism, this big massive thing, and within Judaism there 's sects right there 's the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Essenes and the zealots right we've got Christianity we've got the Presbyterians and the Baptists and the Pentecostals and you know, <laughs> all the other all the other stuff, so they 're calling the way a sect within Judaism who sees that Jesus is the Messiah. He says, I worship the God of our fathers. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the one you guys have read about in the the synagogue every week forever. I worship the God of our fathers and I believe everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets. I read left and I say amen to all of it. Having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept. Who are these men that Paul's talking with? It's the Pharisees. Paul and the Pharisees have the same theology, okay? One of them walks it out in righteousness, and, and one doesn't. But that's, I got the same hope as these guys. We don't believe different things, which these men themselves accept that there will be a resurrection of the just and the unjust. So he has the same hope as these men. But he interprets the work of Jesus as the Messiah, as a confirmation of that Jewish hope. You see, the Pharisees are hardened, and they, they miss it. Paul says, I have the same hope as them. Uh, My confirmation of that hope is Jesus. Acts 26, so I stand here testifying, both small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses, what's to the left, have said would come to pass. That the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he's first, we're after, he would proclaim both light to our people, the Jews, and to the Gentiles. Okay? Just fulfilling the promise. Acts 28, for this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and speak with you, for I am wearing this chain. Why is Paul wearing this chain? Do we have, for the sake of the hope of Israel. That's what's happening. The hope of Israel is everything from the law and the prophets. Okay, Paul's message is that Jesus is the one they talked about. He's the one who's going to make good on everything God had said. Paul's hope is a Jewish Pope, Acts 28, from morning till evening he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and the prophets. Okay? First century Bible studies don't have a New Testament, guys. Like, Paul didn't open up to Matthew at their house church. He goes, let's start in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and let me share the gospel with you. With Jesus the Messiah as the confirmation of of all of these things, Romans fifteen 8, and 9. For I tell you, Christ became a servant to the circumcised. Christ came to serve who? The lost sheep of the house of Israel. How? To show God's truthfulness. To show that everything God had said is true in order to confirm the promises given to who? To the patriarchs. To Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. That's why Christ came. Because at this point, you've got to wonder how these people are believing in God at all. You've got the whole Old Testament full of the promises of God for these people, and they've been in and out of exile. They're back in the land, but they're not really. You know what I mean? They've got a temple. It's not really theirs, right? Like, like they're not running the thing. Herod's running the thing. It's his temple. It's whatever. They're not really in charge. They're just kind of there being allowed to live as Jews, but not really. And there's a group there that still believe in God. That's remarkable faith to me. Like, we we have a more sure anchor than they do. They, they've got the prophets, we've got an empty tomb to confirm all of these things. Their, their faith is really, is really amazing, okay? Jesus came to confirm those things, not abolish them or not change them. Second Corinthians one twenty. we sang this morning, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. Everything left of Him finds its yes in Him. Does that make sense? I hope so. So don't think that I'm here to do away with the Torah. Don't think I'm here to change the prophets. I didn't come to do away with them. I came to make them fully known, clarify some things, and carry them out. So simply put, Jesus is the Isaiah 52 and 53 servant. He is the arm of the Lord who carries out who executes the Father's redemptive plan as prophesied by the law and the prophets. Jesus is also the Isaiah 30 teacher who makes the purpose and the meaning and the goal. And he gives us the authoritative interpretation of the law and the prophets. Okay, So when do we get the law? Moses on Mount Sinai, right? Moses comes down Mount Sinai and he's got the law. And they say, yeah, everything he said will do. And then they don't. Okay, but from that moment, people are trying to interpret the law. They're trying to give sense to what, so later, we're going to get into this later in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, you've heard it said, but I say to you, that's totally normal. There's other rabbis and other sects saying, well, here's what Moses said, and we think it means this. Jesus comes to say, here's what Moses said, and this is what it means, and I'm right, right? You get raised from the dead. You get to decide what's the right ra- okay. So that's what's going on. Jesus is, is the interpreter of the law and the prophets. He's the one that tells us what it means to live these things out, okay? And so he's going to carry out all the blessings of the Old Testament on Israel. And Jesus is going to execute all the judgments on the people of Israel from the Old Testament, right? Deuteronomy 28 through 32, you get all the covenant blessings, right? You're the head, not the tail, yada yada, yada. And also all the covenant curses. You wander from me. This, this, this will happen. So the further we get into Matthew, we'll see Jesus affirm both those covenant promises, those covenant blessings, and then also those those covenant curses, okay? When he starts to to say, your house left you desolate, all, all this kind of stuff, okay? He's, what's he doing? He's just interpreting the Old Testament. He's saying, yeah, you guys know this. I'm telling you what it means. And I'm telling you, it's coming pretty soon for some of you, okay? So, in regards to the prophets, Jesus is going to to execute them all. Many he already has, right? You guys are are you know evangelical, so you've seen like from youth group till now those charts that have all the Old Testament prophecies and then how Jesus fulfilled them, and you've seen the timeline. Okay, you you've seen all that. In regards to the law, he's going to give the correct interpretation of them, and Jesus is going to obey the law. Okay, Reese, uh, where's Reese? Right, your beard, I can't see you. Um, <laughs> Reese alluded to this in his uh, sermon on 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 righteousness. Um, Jesus doesn't break the law for love. Okay, that that's kind of a, a trope out there, um, and it, he doesn't break the law. Jesus is, is totally lawful, and we'll we'll look at those passages where Jesus touches a dead body. Okay, it's like well, that means he's. Ritually impure. Well, we're going to look at the, all those things. But Jesus doesn't break the law. He heals on the Sabbath. Is that unlawful? We're, we'll look at those things. But he's going to obey the law. I didn't come to abolish them. Not a not a dot. Not a letter. Even this thing, you know, don't touch the bird's nest. He's going to obey those things. And Jesus is going to teach not just Israel, but all the nations of the earth, the law. And by the Spirit, he's going to write it on their hearts. Just Micah 4. 1 and 2, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord, a thoroughly Jewish hope, shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and the people shall flow to it. And many nations, so not just Jews, many nations, right? You know, people from Oklahoma, shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways. That we may walk in his path. For out of Zion, east, shall go forth the law. Okay? And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem to all the nations. Isn't that wonderful? Okay, you need to think about that. So this is how things are going to look, and it's just what Jesus said will happen. Not a dot, not an iota will pass until all is accomplished, okay? till heaven and earth pass away, the old order of things under the curse removed, and all things are made new, and all is accomplished, the dwelling of God with man, and every single tear wiped away. Until that day, I think, and again, I think, until that day, the law endures, okay? Not not a dot, not a tittle is gonna pass away until all is accomplished. So I think as long as we're still crying, the law is still enduring. Okay? That makes sense. So that brings us to our, our last question. How do we live? And and if you thought that part was complicated, now things get real <laughs> real complicated. So let's open up to Leviticus 1 and we'll just start reading. Just kidding. How do we live? If Jesus is the fulfiller of the prophets and, and the obeyer and the teacher of the law, Levitic, like I'm talking about Leviticus, I'm not you know, how then shall we live while we're waiting for all to be accomplished? How do we live while we're waiting for every tear to be wiped away? Two two easy ways for this Oklahoma boy to understand. We live in obedience and we live in hope. Okay? So first, obedience, and this is the tricky part. First, we obey God's law. Matthew 5.19, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to, to relax them too, he'll be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Okay? Bad. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. So we're this is live ammo. We're dealing with, like, it's not a little... This is a big deal. If you want to be great in the coming kingdom, read God's law, obey it, and teach others to do it. Is that simple? Okay, well, it's not really simple for a few reasons, okay? And again, if I'm wrong here, I'm, I'm wrong. I'm not trying to be. The reason this is complex is because much of the law, okay, like two-thirds of the law has to do with uh, Jewish ritual worship where there's a temple. Is there a temple anymore? No, 70 AD. They're... Okay. Much of it has to do with there being Levitical priesthood. Is there a Levitical priesthood right now? No. There's no temple for them to be priests in. Okay. Uh, I lost my kids. We talked about Zechariah in the temple this morning. Um, and then, third, Israel is not a theocracy at the moment, right? Who, who is Israel's leader and king first? A, a pillar of cloud <laughs> called God. Fire by night, Yahweh. <laughs> okay, so so those things aren't happening. They haven't been happening for nineteen hundred years. So much of the law is just kinda out right now. Right? It's just not there. The second reason it's complicated is unless I'm mistaken, all of us are Gentiles, right? I have no I have no ethnic descendants of Abraham in the room, do I? If so, you need to come up here and help us learn this stuff. <laughs> okay? No, we're all Gentiles, and God didn't give the law to the Gentiles. He gave it to his firstborn Israel, right? At Sinai, the Irish aren't there, are they? The, right, the Romans aren't aren't there, right? The African Americans aren't there. Who's at, who's at Sinai? The Jews, the Israelites, the Hebrew, the Hebrew people, okay? So we've got like, oh, we obey the law. We want to love Jesus and follow Jesus and obey Jesus. Uh, and so this is the story of Acts 15. Okay? Acts 15, I'll just tell it really quickly. The, 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 Jesus has died, the Spirit has come, the apostles are preaching, and they're going to the Jews, and the Jews are hardened and say, okay, we'll go talk to these Gentiles about it. And the Gentiles do what? They turn to the God of Israel. Okay, These Gentiles with no hope in the world, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, right? alienated from the law and the prophets and everything, the gospel goes to them and they go, okay, all right, I'm in. And when they do that, when they believe, the Spirit falls on them, and Peter says, "Whoa, that's the same Holy Spirit that we received." But they're Gentiles. How, you know, how's this all work out? So they're wondering, what do we do with Cornelius? What do we do with Cornelius's household? These are all Gentiles. Should we circumcise them? Cornelius is like, I hope not. You know what I mean? <laughs> do, do, do we make them eat kosher? Like, like you know, because at Cornelius's house, you know, it's it's bacon night, breakfast for dinner night. Do do we make them change their clothes? Because they've got different fabrics on, you know, what's what's the deal? What do we do? So the apostles in in Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, they talk and they pray, and Peter says, look, the same spirit that fell on me fell on them. And so this must mean that God is taking from the Gentiles a people for himself just earlier than we thought, okay? Because if you read all the kingdom of God passages in the Old Testament and some in the New all the nations are coming to worship God, right? All, all the Gentiles are coming. That the apostles, it seems like they just don't have a context for Gentiles coming before that day. So they're like, what, "What do we, what do we do with them?" And so Peter says, and James affirms it. Okay, he says, "Let's not make it hard for them." Okay, which as Gentiles, all right, let's not make it hard for them. Let's tell them two things. If they tell them four. I think you can fit it into. He says. Tell the Gentiles to get rid of all of their idols, right? First century Rome, you, you got like 60 gods. Now, well, we, can, we can just add Yahweh to this, right? Like he'll fit here on the shelf. And and the apostles say, no, to worship Yahweh is to worship him and him alone, which is totally radical for the pagans. Tot- like just w- one god? We've got 60 More more is better, right? The apostles don't know less is more. Get rid of all your idols. Worship Yahweh alone. And two, abstain from sexual immorality. Two things for the Gentiles to inherit eternal life. Get rid of your idols and abstain from sexual immorality. All your ties to paganism must be severed. So if the Gentile believers truly followed these rules, they couldn't participate in the pagan worship anymore right they they couldn't go to the cult temple one cuz there's idols in there and two they worship in weird ways okay such behavior not going to the temple anymore to the pagan temple would set them apart right which is like the purpose of Israel right to be set apart you be holy as I am holy set apart as I am apart okay so such behavior sets them apart gentiles this is how you obey god's law you worship god and god alone and and you walk morally Upright, according to the apostles, as I understand it, and I could be wrong. Gentile disciples of Jesus are under no obligation to serve the Jewish ritual law. So Cornelius doesn't get circumcised. You got the letter to Galatians saying, "Stop trying to circumcise the Gentiles. They're gonna, you're gonna inherit eternal life as a Jew. The Gentiles are gonna inherit eternal life as Gentiles." I don't understand it. This is what we're doing, right? That's what, <laughs> that's kind of what Paul says. Okay. So, kind of what I'm saying is, is those two things, no idols, be moral, kind of sums up our big ten, right? What, what's commandment one? I'm the only Lord. What's commandment two? It's the same as the first one. I'm the only Lord. (laughs) Okay, Commandment three, I'm the only Lord, so honor my name. I'm the only Lord, so honor my day. Honor your father and mother. That's moral. Don't murder. That's moral. Don't commit adultery. That's moral. Don't steal. That's moral. Don't lie. That's moral. Don't covet. That's moral. Or we can just take those ten and boil them down into two for Jew and Gentile and listen to Jesus and listen to Paul. Jesus says, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus says what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. That pretty much removes any kind of other worship, doesn't it? Like if it's all given to Yahweh, I don't have any left for Zeus or what, like it's all his. Okay, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second commandment what? Love love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus says this, which is great for an ignorant Gentile. On these two commandments depends all the law and the prophets, like you can sum up Leviticus: love God alone and love your neighbor. Right? Paul says the same thing. Galatians five four: the whole law is fulfilled in one word: love your neighbor as yourself. Okay. So again, just, there, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of place for conversation, study, and debate on how we apply the law in as Jews and Gentiles in, in 2021. You know. Um, but right now, instead of complicating things, let's just really throw ourselves wholeheartedly into obeying what we do understand. Right? You've heard the Mark Twain quote, it's not the part of the Bible that I don't understand that bothers me, it's the parts I do understand. Right? The parts we do understand, let's obey them. Like I'm not going to spend too much time worrying about having different fabrics on this morning. Pretty sure as a Gentile, this is fine. Okay, What I'm certain of is that I can only worship one God. I can only have one Lord, one Master. I I pray with a guy on Monday mornings, and every time he prays, he calls Jesus Master. And that just provokes the heck out of me. You know, because I call Him Lord and Father and God, and this guy says Master, and I'm like, I need to obey my Master, and worship and follow Him alone. I'm certain of that one, so I'm going to throw myself into it. What I'm also certain of in regards to Acts 15, is that my sexuality, your sexuality, our eyes, our brains, our hearts, the rest of our body, if you're married, that's meant only for your wife. If you're not married, it's not meant for anyone. Okay. What I'm certain of is that I need to love my enemies and pray for those who persecute me and carry a cross. Okay. I'm certain of that. I'm not going to relax those commandments in the least. Or for anyone else. With all the grace God will give me. And all the power the spirit will give me. I'm going to delight in those commands. I'm going to do those commands. And I'm going to teach others to obey them. And to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to aim at obeying them. Not for outward appearances. But from the heart. Which is true righteousness. Verse 20. For I tell you. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. You'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Pharisees and scribes are keeping the law guys. But it's not from the heart. For outward appearances, right? Pharisees, it seems like they're doing it so they can get rich, making money off of God's law. So we're going to obey what we understand from the heart, wholeheartedly. Worship God alone and walk in uprightness. Okay. So how do we live? First, in obedience, and second, we live in hope. Okay. Um, This might not seem like the text to preach after the last few weeks that we have endured. You know, like I opened up my Bible this week, uh, you know, asking the Lord, like, this is where we're at. Do you want us to go somewhere else? Um, I didn't feel led otherwise, so we got into Matthew five seventeen through 20. Um, and I just kept thinking a good pastor would go back to Matthew 5, 4 and bless for those who mourn or, or spend some time in the Psalms of Lament. But after working through Matthew 5 here, I think this text is exactly what we need. Because what Jesus is proclaiming from this text is exactly what was proclaimed Wednesday afternoon. All of God's promises will come true. And Jesus is saying he is the agent for making it so. Which means we can have real hope. In God's promise to Eve that the serpent's head along with sin and death will be crushed. And we can have hope in God's promise to Abraham that all the peoples of the earth will be freed from the curse of sin and death. And receive the blessing of resurrection life. And we can be, have real hope in God's promise to David that a son of David will sit on a throne and rule all the nations in righteousness. And they'll turn their swords into plowshores in a kingdom that never ends. And we can be sure and have real hope that God's promise to the prophets that all those who mourn will be comforted. That the Lord will really prepare a feast of rich food and well-aged wine and the Lord himself will serve us a meal and wipe every tear from our eyes. Okay, This is what Jesus is saying in Matthew 5.17. This is what he's saying. I didn't come to abolish that thing. I came to obey it and carry it out and make it happen. There's not better news than that. There's just not. This is what he's saying. God will come through. God will be faithful. And in Jesus, all will be well. All will be well, now as not always.